Hey, I have um, really struggled uh, all week as I've thought about what to say. Um, for those of you who I think most of us are aware, it's a uh, 50-year anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. And uh, when he says the words, I have a dream that this nation will rise up, um, I don't think we're there yet. And I think if you spend any time with friends of color, uh, you realize that there is a great sense of uh, maybe even hopelessness at times that they're still experiencing, uh, and it just breaks my heart. And um, I just wanted to stop for a moment and pray for our country, because uh, we haven't arrived, and maybe in some ways it's better, but in some ways I think it's worse. And our country is maybe as divided as it's ever been, politically, emotionally, I don't know why, I don't have the answer. I just know uh, that as long as uh, there is systemic racism in our country, as long as, it just, it, it's, it's just not, we're not there yet. Can we just agree to that, that we're not there yet? So um, if you wanna just pray with me, that would be great. Lord, I am at a loss for words. I have been all week. Um, I want so much. Uh, for us to experience racial healing. Uh, I am so grateful for this church. I'm grateful for what you're doing here. We have not arrived yet. Grace Community Church has not arrived yet. Lord, show us how to uh, forge friendships across racial lines. Show us how to uh, be a beacon of light in our country. Show us how to live into the dream that this nation would rise up. But we just pray for healing. We pray for healing and just ask that you would bring us together as a nation across racial lines. Pray that we would see those areas where we can step into injustice and be about justice because you love justice. In Jesus' name, amen. These are the words of... Dr. King, he said, when our days become dreary and low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in the universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way to transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Let us pray for some bright tomorrows, amen? Hey, uh, one more announcement before I get into the sermon. Uh, coming up in May, the student ministries are going to uh, have do a whole series through the month of May, a series that they're calling Click Here for Danger. Um, and the series is on pornography and the, uh, the dangers and the sin of pornography. What we know to be true is uh, just with the way access to to the, to the internet and everything, that this has become even more pervasive than it used to be uh, for us as adults and for our kids. Uh, so we've, we've just decided, and I give um, the student ministry leaders a lot of credit for chas chasing after this one, but they're gonna have some uh, direct conversations with the kids about the dangers of pornography. We have some outside speakers that are gonna come help uh, speak to them as they're doing it. Uh, but we're gonna have a parent meeting next week after both of the services. Um, 
and I just would encourage you, so it's gonna happen uh, April 14th and 15th, and this is sort of just us letting you know what we're gonna talk about. We understand if you're not ready, we don't want your kids to come home at the beginning of May and say, hey, we've been talking about pornography and you, your eyes bug out of your head and you're talking about what? Anyway, so we just wanna give you fair warning. If you decide I'm not ready for my kid to hear it, we understand that, you're the parents, we wanna give you uh, that option. So we're gonna just talk about what it is we're going to be talking about, what are we gonna be covering, allow you to ask questions of us, but there's something else we're gonna do which I just wanna invite everyone to be a part of. Um, for those first two weeks, uh, anyway, we'll see how it goes after that. Um, on Wednesday night, when the students are meeting downstairs, we're going to meet upstairs and we're gonna bring in some outside voices to talk to us about how to protect our kids, but how to protect our own hearts as well, because I think we can all admit that this is not a problem just for the students, um, that it's just pervasive in our society, and so we're just gonna talk about it together as adults. So parents, we especially want you to be there because there'll be some overlap and it'll help you to talk. Some of it will be just how to even protect your kids uh, from that, but um, we just want you to come. If you, if you just wanna be there so you can hear, Tim Hogan's gonna come the first week. Uh, it's, it really is, and he runs our counseling center. Um, it would just be a great week for you to come. That's Wednesday night. I think it's at seven o'clock, but we'll announce that a few times before we get to May. Um, but we would love for you to be a part of those conversations and something that we can all learn from, okay? Grab your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week we launched this series called Hope Restored and it's our desire that as we move through this series throughout the entire month that, that you will have a renewed sense of hope, that the hope that you have will spill over into not just your life but to the lives of people around you. I would say that this is in many ways just a continuation of the Easter sermon, that the resurrection uh, and, and all that, we really can't cover all that that means in one week. So this is kind of a, a Easter sermon that's gonna last for four or five weeks. And the question that I asked last week that I continue to want you to think about is does the resurrection of Jesus matter in your life today? Is it just some insurance policy that gets you into the, the pearly gates after you die? Or does the resurrection actually bring a sense of hope into your everyday, right now life? It's a question worth asking yourself. It's a question worth pondering. Now I know none of you came here hoping to get homework, but I'm gonna start by giving you some homework. Um, just a friendly challenge, you can do this if you want. You don't have to, obviously, I don't have any way of controlling that. But I want you to read 1 Corinthians, the whole chapter, a couple times this week. And as you read it, I just want you to say, Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear? What do you wanna show me as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Maybe you could even substitute that out for whatever you're reading in your 15 minutes with God, that's okay. We'll give you permission to do that. Um, but, but just read it a couple times. I can't cover the entire chapter today, it's just, there's two much there, and we're going to uh, look at a few verses out of it, but I just want you to go back, especially after hearing the sermon, and read the whole chapter in context, and just ask the Lord what he has for you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to start in verse 20, read through 23, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 50. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. 
Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jump down to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I love that. Behold, I'm about to tell you a mystery. Does that make you want to like tune in? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall, shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, therefore, because of everything I just read, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes that you would just guide my words. Uh, there is a lot here. Uh, I know that I'm covering a lot of ground. Lord, I just pray that, that what you want us to hear that would just ring true. I pray that seeds would take root in our hearts, that it would bear fruit a hundredfold. Our prayer this week is the prayer last week and the prayer of the week before that, that we would leave different when we came because we've sat in the presence of the living God. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So keep your Bibles open to the First Corinthians. I'm gonna cover a lot of ground today. I know that even after I, I taught last night, it just became clear to me that there's, this is a lot of theology. This is a lot of Bible passages. I said to John, uh, who helps create the notes, doesn't he do a great job with the notes? I think that is so awesome. Um, but I, I sent him a copy of my sermon notes because I said this is gonna be a hard one for you to keep up because I'm going in so many places, but I know that. So I'm just kind of asking you to you know, put on your seatbelt, strap in and stay with me, but keep your Bibles open. We're gonna come back to the first Corinthians passage, but, but I wanna kind of just cover some ground to kind of lay the groundwork here. How many of you are here for the one word challenge? What we did early in the year, one word challenge. So most of you were here, but some of you weren't. And the idea was we ask you to prayerfully ask God, what is one word that you can sink into for the entire year? One word that God wants to become part of your DNA for the whole year. And, and we had all these great words people had. We put them on boards on the side. And if you actually, if you're walking out the church, you'll notice there's a display window. We've taken all those and stuck them in there. And you can see all the different words that people have. And if you haven't, chosen a word yet, I would just encourage you, it's not too late, uh, it's a great thing, just prayerfully ask God, what do you want me to, to grasp by the end of the year, what's my one word? It's been a, just a great conversation uh, starter for us with, with the elders, a conversation starter with the staff, when I'm with uh, the guys in my small group, it's just a great way to say, how are you doing with whatever your particular word is? So it's just a great way to uh, encourage one another. Um, but my guess is, if you were to stop and you were to think about it, you would understand that your ability to sink into whatever word you have chosen hinges on whether or not you have hope. 
For some of you, hope was actually the word, but if hope wasn't your word, when you lose hope, it's gonna be difficult for you to take hold of whatever that word that you have. Hope becomes this catalyst for so much more in our lives. I wanna show you this just in the Bible. So the Bible says that if you have hope in God, that that hope leads to joy. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice, have joy in your hope. Right? It says that if we have hope in God, it leads to boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12, since we have such hope, we are very bold. You can make the case. If you didn't have hope, you wouldn't be bold. Hope in God leads to faith and leads to love. Colossians 1, 4, and 5, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love that you have for all the saints because of your hope. Yep. So you can see hope has this, this catalytic effect in our life. Hope leads us to endurance and power. So Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary. He increases power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. That entire verse hinges on 31, but those who hope in the Lord. And then there's a passage in Hebrews 6.19 that actually tells us that hope becomes an anchor for our soul. It says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It keeps us from, from blowing from place to place, keeps us steadfast in our faith. Right? So there's all this fruit that comes from having hope. That's why this series is so, so important to us because so much comes out of it. Dr. King said these words. He said, even in the inevitable moments when all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live. And the, in agonizing desperation, they cry out for the bread of hope. And the truth is, this makes sense. I mean, when you think about it, uh, put it in the terms of, of athletics, uh, a basketball team, a football team, an athlete, the minute they lose hope, they're done. You are not going to win when you become hopeless in the game. Even if you have false hope, you may still lose in athletics, right? But the minute you know your, your toes, the minute you lose any hope that you can win, you're not going to win, right? So we understand this intuitively, that, that hope becomes catalytic to, to everything that we do, okay? So, and what I want you to hear is, because of that, there is a battle raging to steal your hope, Right? Do you get this? If hope is that catalytic to your spiritual journey, then the evil one, the forces of darkness, do not want you to have hope. So they are doing everything in their power to, to take your hope away because that is the way they can defeat you and bring you down. I want to recap a little bit of last week because it all becomes part of, of the series. But we, we landed on Proverbs 13, 12. Remember, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The idea there is that anytime we have... a Excuse me, anytime we have a desire for something, or maybe even a desire that something doesn't happen, and it goes in the opposite direction, that's hope deferred, and that hope deferred has a tendency to make our heart sickness. We suffer from heart sickness, so dreams that don't come true, desires that don't happen. And then last week, we looked at Psalm 42 and 43. Remember, I told you that in the earliest manuscripts, those are just one psalm. And so we looked at the words of David. And what we saw was David was in a battle for hope. He was fighting for hope. And three times in that psalm, or those two psalms, he says these words, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? David is talking to himself. And then he calls something out of himself. He says, hope in God. 
David is preaching a sermon to himself. One of the things I read this week uh, said that the most important sermon you're going to hear this week is the one that you preach to yourself. It's not what I say. It's what you say the rest of the week. What do I say to you all the time? No one talks to you more than you, so you better pay attention to what you're saying to yourself. David is having an inner dialogue, and he's saying, why are you downcast? Soul, why are you so down? Why have you lost hope? Put your hope in God. He is preaching to himself. Make sense? And the problem is, we have this just natural tendency to hope in all kinds of things besides God. John Calvin says that man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. We place our hope in money, in a great job, in our career, even in our ministries and in our positions and in our our kids and our family and our grandkids. We can find all kinds of things to place our hope in. And, And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we place our hope in those above, placing our hope in God. And whenever we do that, those things become idols in our lives, and they will always lead us to heart sickness, because they will always let us down. Because anytime you try to get from someone or from something what God, what's intended to be gotten from God, it's always going to leave you short, and you're always going to have hope deferred, and so you will end up with heart sickness. Make sense? And so what we discovered last week is that the only way out of this is to lift your eyes. Remember, when we talk about this, you're in the circumstances. It's not about denial. It's not pretending that the circumstances don't exist. It's lifting your eyes amidst the difficult circumstances and taking what we call the 360 perspective, where we look back and we see all that God has done in our lives. And we begin to look forward of all the promises of scripture and all that God has said he's going to do, that we need to rise above in our view. Sometimes we're so so admired and enmeshed in our circumstances that we fail to see God amidst our circumstances. As I've been preparing this, this message, I've just in my mind kept going back to one passage of scripture in the Psalms 121. The psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And it just always takes me back to this particular uh, setting. So these are the steps that lead up to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem right here. And I remember sitting uh, somewhere on these steps and thinking about this psalm because if you sit on these steps and you get this view around Jerusalem, there are hills. This is the Mount of Olives over here, uh, but there's all these hills, and I could just imagine the psalmist sitting there in, in some kind of distress and saying, I'm looking to the hills. Where does my help come from? Is, what, what is the Calvary that's going to ride over the hills? Who's going to come and save me? And he's reminded, no, the only thing that's going to save me is God. My help comes from the Lord. It's just a beautiful uh, That's a great memory for me. I just want to remind you, we are going back to Israel in October. Rock and Bev and Meg and I are leading a group. I think some of you aren't doing it because we've called it a study tour. Just so you know, you won't have to study much. Um, It will just be a great experience. Um, But you'll have those moments where a passage of scripture will kind of come to life. And as you think about that passage, you'll remember the setting. It's, It's an amazing experience of bringing the Bible and the setting of the Bible all together in a powerful way. Um, that's going to happen in October. You can get information at the information counter. So Psalm 42, 43, David is lifting his eyes. He's taking this intentional 360 perspective, right? And he's, he's looking back. He talks about how he's experienced God in worship and, and how he led the throngs into worship before God. And then he begins to look forward to the promises of God. 
And the only way we can look towards the promises of God is if we do that with some sort of patience. I think it's fascinating that if you go back to the the Old Testament and you look at the word, the Hebrew word for hope, quite often it's translated wait, not wait like I wish I could lose some, which I do, but anyway, it's more wait like you would wait for a plane, right? Or you would wait for the bus, that kind of wait. And, And at first glance, you would think hope and wait are very different words, but as you meditate on them, you start to realize they're very much the same thing because if you don't have hope in God, then you're not gonna wait on God, right? They're, they're, they're so interconnected. So if you go back to that Isaiah 40, 30 passage that I read, those who hope in the Lord, some people learn that as those who wait on the Lord. And it's, and it's kind of ironic. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, well, that's not the same word, but in essence, they really are the same word. So anytime you take matters into your own hands, and we see this throughout the scriptures, God has promised somebody something and they can't wait for God's promises. So they take matters and they're no longer waiting on God. They're no longer hoping on God. They are hoping on themselves, right? They're taking matters in their own hand and their hope is in their own ingenuity to make things happen. And we do that all the time. So so patience and hope work together, right? So David is in immediate trouble and and he's working through this and he, he raises his eyes, he takes this 360 perspective and he looks back, but then he begins to look forward. And this brings us back to, you were wondering if I was gonna get there, I am. This brings us all the way back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 because this is a description of the future. And if we are going to lift our eyes and have a 360 perspective, and we can look at all that God has done, we can look at the the stories of scripture and how God has moved, but we can also see how God has moved in our own life. We have an experience with God that we can look back on. If we're gonna look forward, then we ought to make sure that what we are looking forward to is an accurate understanding of what God has actually promised. And that's what we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So look at verse 15 or 50, sorry, chapter 15, verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. This is so important. Stay with me. Paul is explaining that something radical, something mysterious is going to happen. And I would say it's not what most of us have imagined in our mind or have visualized. I think most people think when you die, you become this disembodied spirit and you go to this mysterious place. Maybe there's lots of clouds, some streets of gold and and we float around and we're with God and we're gonna sing worship songs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we're all gonna have like wings and really white suits and right? We have this vision of, of what we think heaven is gonna be like and it's mostly a spiritual sort of I think disembodied is a, is a great word for it. And, and, and the problem is that's not what the scriptures say. Paul is saying, I want to tell you a mystery. The dead will rise. Those who pass away in Christ will rise and be given imperishable bodies. He says, we shall all be changed. Stay with me. Paul writes, all those who are in Christ get a new body. The body is imperishable. 
right? Those who are waiting for Jesus, right? So the people have passed away. Again, that they're, the, the, the scriptures say that they're asleep. That they have gone to be with Jesus in a spiritual realm. But at the moment that Jesus comes back, we will be given new bodies. So 1 John 3, 2 says, beloved, we are God's children now. And he has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. When it says we shall be like him, what he's talking about is in physical form, we shall be like Jesus because we shall see him as he is. Don't miss that. We shall be like Jesus in physical form. Jump back to verses 20 and 23 in the 1 Corinthians 15. 20 says, but in fact, Christ has risen from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then the coming, those who belong to Christ. When the, when the scripture referred to Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection, it is telling us that the future imperishable body that, that we get is going to be just like Jesus' body. It's an amazing thing. We will see Jesus, right? When the disciples saw Jesus, he was walking, he was talking, he was eating, he allowed them to touch them. He was transformed. His body was raised out of the tomb. They physically were with Jesus. This is so important, people, that they didn't see a ghost, right? They didn't experience the presence of Jesus. It wasn't a mysterious presence. The disciples experienced the risen Lord. The tomb was empty, right? And that is the same way that our bodies will be transformed. So when we navigate the loss of a loved one, this is part of being able to mourn, but mourn with hope because Paul writes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Here's what you need to know. If Jesus was just a ghost or a manifestation, then death would still have won. But Jesus has victory over death because his body was raised. And so the question becomes, okay, so after I die, after Jesus returns, I get a new body, I become a, this, this, this immortal, uh, imperishable person, what then, where will I live? And the answer is right here. Think about this. The New Testament writings, all of the New Testament, if you read the New Testament through this lens, it will change what you see. They never talked about us dying and going to be with Jesus. They anticipated Jesus coming to be with us. They anticipated the return of Jesus to be with us where we are. That was the, the New Testament writings. That's what we see over and over. When we look at the first century church and all the writings, it was always an anticipation of Jesus' return to be with us where we are. Now, let me show you this in scripture so you know that I'm not just making all this up. Revelations 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. See, it's coming to us from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. 
He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus. Behold, I am making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14 says that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. But according to his promises, we are waiting for new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot, blemish, and at peace. So why is this so important? Why am I telling you all of this when I'm supposed to be preaching a sermon on hope? I'm really glad you asked that question. (laughs) If there's nothing else that we cover today, uh, this is what I want you to hear. This is huge. When you lift your eyes out of your circumstances and you engage in a a intentional 360 perspective and you look back at all that God done and you look forward to what God is going to do, you need to have an accurate view of what God is going to do. And I would say you need to have an accurate view of what God is doing. So when we read the words of Jesus in that passage in Revelations, he says, behold, I am making present tense all things new. And I believe what the scriptures is telling us that is in the context of making the new earth that he has invited us to play a part right now in the making of the new earth. He is inviting us to participate in making all things new today. N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope, writes these words. And I'm actually going to read them for you twice because uh, it's just really, uh, it rocks my world. He says these words, he says, you are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to go over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going into the fire. You are not painting, planting roses in a garden that are about to be dug up. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of God's new world. I'm going to read it one more time because it's awfully profound. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to go over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown in the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up. You are, strange though it may seem, as hard as it may be to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course part of the new world. I read this quote to Meg and I asked her if it gives her hope and she said the better question is does it give you goosebumps? This is what that means. And this really is what I want you to walk out of here with. Every act of love, every act of kindness, every work of art, every writing of music inspired by the love of God will find its way into the new world. Every minute that you spend teaching a kid in SOAR to read in the name of Jesus will find its way into the new world. Every hour you spend coaching kids and and telling them about the love of God will find its way into the new world. Every weekend you spend hanging out with kids on a weeknight where you're a small group leader and you're loving on those kids, that act of service in the name of Jesus, you get this, will find its way into the new world. 
Every act of sacrifice for the sake of others finds its way into the new world. Every movement of justice on behalf of the oppressed in the name of Jesus finds its way into the new world. Every deed that you do that spreads the gospel and builds the church will find its way into the new world. I didn't plan on saying this, and I'm sure she's going to be... I can't look at her and say it. Uh, Casey's leaving um, this week for Joss, Nigeria to start a bakery uh, for girls rescued out of sex trafficking. And what I want you to know... is it's gonna make its way. Thank you. This is what I believe. I believe that when Mel and Bryce Jr. and John and Flett write those worship songs for us, it's not just for us. You get this? It's, it's for the new world. You get how huge this is? Do you get how hope-producing this can be? When we realize, like I, I sat with in my small group and uh, Todd Kilgit said, oh, I have to read it because I can't remember. <laughs> uh, he said, there's something motivating and invigorating about being part of something bigger, something successful, something that's making a difference. We all want to make a difference, right? We all want to be a part of, of something bigger. We have this foreknowledge that God is up to something. That he's involved us in making all things new and that we get to play a part, that we get to go to Joss, Nigeria. What we do becomes part of the new world. So the passage says that we need to not grow weary of doing good, that we need to be people of hope contributing to this far bigger, immeasurably bigger something that God has called us to. If you look at the very end at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, therefore, my beloved brothers, because of all of this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. It's contributing to something far bigger than you've probably ever even imagined. Be steadfast, be immovable always abounding in the works of the Lord. I say this to you all the time, but the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. And the question is, what is he inviting you to be a part of? Where is he inviting you to contribute? Where is he inviting you to help bring about this new world? Let me pray for us. Lord, I just pray, pray that you would open our eyes to this radical truth. I pray that it would give us inspiration. I pray that it would give us hope. I pray that we would have an eternal perspective of the work that you've called us to. I pray that when uh, the, the songwriters here at Grace are writing songs, that they have that broader perspective. It's not just for Grace. It's so much bigger. But I don't even uh, pretend to understand all this, but it sure gives me a great sense of hope that the sermons I preach, the times that I spend sitting with people is going to something greater. May it be a source of hope for all of us. May it invigorate us. May it help us to know that we are a part of something 
far bigger than we can even ask, think, or imagine. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God and just the richness of scripture. Help us to lean in, help us to grow. Lord, I pray a blessing over Casey. I just pray that you would protect her. In his name, amen. Hey, interestingly enough, we pray for you before the services and uh, last night, the sense was uh, there's some people that really are um, experience, experiencing a lot of turmoil and just need peace. Uh, and so that came last night and almost the exact words came tonight. So if that's you and you just need a little peace in your life, I just wanna encourage you to come down. We have prayer warriors that'll be down here that would love to just pray over you. Any physical ailments that you would like us to pray for, uh, we would love to do that as well, but we just invite you to come down. Thank you for being here. Have don't leave. There's a man on the stage. It's good. He, he's with us. How many of us would like Casey to come up here and for us to pray for her? I was trying. Guess you're going to have to now. I was trying to save you that embarrassment, but. I know. Casey, you know, we have training for, uh, you know, people coming up the stage that aren't allowed to speak. You should have got tackled. Where's the security <laughs> in this place? Some big man just came up here. Anyway. I think most of you know the work she's going to go is part of our network. And so I'm excited about this. And I know we all are. So let's stand up. Let's stretch out our hands. Father, we thank you for Casey. Mm -hmm. We thank you for her heart for you. We thank you for her desire to go and to work in an area that a lot of people don't want to go to, but the needs are great. The opportunities are great. And these women have been so abused, so battered. I know so many of their stories, and I thank you that Casey's going there to provide hope for them. Hope in the form of spiritual healing. Hope in the form of creating a job for them that's going to give them an opportunity to take control of their lives and live it for you without the dominance of evil people who have been trying to lead them down that dark and horrible path that Satan wants them to walk. And so I pray a blessing of freedom upon Casey that she would take that with you in your power and strength to release these women and some men from that darkness. We pray that you would bless her too with keys to unlock doors, to open hearts and minds, to receive you and to walk in the strength and power of yourself. And I pray that you would bless her, Jesus, with good physical health and strength, a sound mind, and the ability to step out into those hard places and relationships that I know she's gonna encounter with the power of your spirit working in and through her in a way that others would see in her life your grace, your goodness, your forgiveness, your salvation. Do these things in her and through her, and we as a church commit to stand behind her in prayer and in our giving, and we do these things, we promise these things, in your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. <laughs> bless you. Thank you. God bless you.